otherwise on SAFM. It's Women's Month, and while we celebrate women, I think we also need to take responsibility about our health, especially. And joining me on the phone is um, Sipogazi Dada, who's a scientist at the Medical Research Council's Alcohol and Drug Abuse Research Unit, and we're trying to broach the subject of women and alcohol. Hello, Sipogazi. Good afternoon, Ma'am Shadow, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us and making time to talk about this important issue. Sipogazi, we, we find ourselves um, more and more, in fact, alcohol, drinking alcohol is becoming uh, socially, socially, socially acceptable. Um, can you tell us why? Uh, good afternoon to the listeners as well. Mam Shadow, alcohol has been accessibly easy. I mean, it's easily accessible to South African to South Africans generally and to now especially to women as well, unlike uh, other days long time ago that uh, it wasn't really accessible to women. But I think that is the reason why more people uh, drink a lot. It is easily accessible. And in some societies, it, it has become a norm for people to drink because to socialize, people feel like they have to have a drink mm-hmm. for traditional uh, ceremonies, people feel they have to drink in order to, to to enjoy themselves. So I think that is one of the reasons. But, but why are women, though, more at risk than men, uh, at health risks than men? Women are, are more at risk than men because of our biological vulnerability. You know, the, the, our anatomy, our biological uh, makeup, even though you find that even though we can drink the same uh, volume or quantity or quality of alcohol than men, but women are more vulnerable, uh, and they get uh, they are more vulnerable and, and susceptible to more health issues compared to men. Like I said, because of our biological makeup as well as uh, so we take our bodies. The, the body size also counts. If you are more petite, you are more likely to the alcohol, it will affect you much more quicker than a person who's big size, but it doesn't mean that a, a person who's not petite will not be affected by uh, alcohol. And so we progress more easily to health risk, for example, like liver diseases and mm-hmm. cancer, even though we might even start using alcohol later than men. It's just that it's that's just our makeup of how we are made, we are more susceptible to health risk when we binge drink and we drink alcohol uh, excessively. So, in general, in reality, we're not supposed to drink as women at all. Uh, uh, one drink doesn't hurt really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's it depends. You know, we, we shouldn't be drinking more than enough. I mean, a standard or oh, the the limitation of a woman to drink is actually one drink per day or up to four. But at the same time, within a week, you must be drinking up to seven drinks. So if you, if you drink four drinks per day for seven days, you are actually, that's actually not right as well. We should be drinking one drink, at least a maximum of four drinks. So at least one drink is not really harmful. It's just that people, we tend to binge and because we want to feel intoxicated, other people enjoy that feeling of being intoxicated and so we tend to drink more than one or more than we are expected to. But today's lifestyle demands that you go to a meeting, you have lunch with your, with your clients, 
you go to a networking kind of situation, you, you have another. So one drink a day really won't cut it. Yes. How does one uh, make sure that even if they have those four drinks for every meeting they have or for every dinner they go to, um, it, it doesn't have as much effect as, you know, do they mix it more with water? Do they drink water in between? Is there anything of making the alcohol that you drink less effective to your body? Yeah, I think it's important to drink water because remember, remember alcohol dehydrates you, so it takes out more water to you uh, from your body. And even if it's not the, even if all alcohol that you have consumed, it's not, uh, metabolized yes in your body you excrete it through sweating or through going uh through the urine so it's important to take more water because as you drink more you the body gets dehydrated from the substances in the alcohol mm-hmm. so so more water is encouraged and less yes. drinking actually every day just to yes. be responsible but but Sipugazi, what where you spoke about liver damage which is kind of the first big no no what other diseases are we are we susceptible to you know with with excessive drinking uh cancer as well especially breast cancer drinking actually increases the risk of uh women to to breast cancer and then um endocrine or gynecological uh disorders like uh reproductive tract also gets infected by excessive drinking and Which is why you shouldn't drink when pregnant, especially. Yes, and you shouldn't drink, especially when you are pregnant. And now I'm, thank that, you, thank God that you bring that up because now, if you're drinking while pregnant, that doesn't only affect you as a woman; mm-hmm. it also affects your child, and then it leads more to other diseases such as uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. which really happens to a child when the child is born. It because of the drinking that the mother has done while the child was uh, in the fetus. If you if, if you were an excessive drinker before you had the before you fell pregnant, for instance, and you stopped during pregnancy, does it guarantee that the child will not be affected? It depends. When actually do you stop drinking? Do you stop immediately when you find out that you are pregnant, which is actually more recommended. If you didn't know that you are pregnant, then it's and you realize that you are pregnant, it's important that you stop immediately. It reduces the chances of this fetal alcohol syndrome, of the baby being exposed to alcohol. But if you are planning to be pregnant, it's important that you just stop during that period of planning pregnancy so that you don't... You, you know, when you know that you are pregnant, at least you have stopped drinking. But if you could not do that, it's important that you stop immediately the minute you 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 realize that you are pregnant. It doesn't necessarily take away the the that this, the disease that the child will have, but it reduces at least the chances than to continue to drink. You're putting the child at more risk if you continue drinking while you are pregnant. Should that person though continue to 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 with the pregnancy, with the term of the pregnancy, is there a time when women should actually think of terminating the pregnancy because of of the amount of alcohol they have been drinking uh, prior to to either the pregnancy or you know even before they found out? Yes, sometimes people, uh, women do think about. Uh Aborting the child when they have uh, found out about the risk that they have put the child uh, when they were drinking. But also much more important is that some women do not know, not everyone knows about not drinking during pregnancy. And so especially in rural areas, it is important that we teach 
women about the risks of drinking while you are pregnant. And besides alcohol on, only, the, the environmental factors play a role because uh, women who tend to drink have themselves grown up in an environment that alcohol was normal in the society or mm-hmm. in the community. And therefore, they don't see anything wrong with that, with drinking, because they would say, well, my mother was drinking as well. It's, it's normal. So they don't see anything wrong with drinking. But actually, education and more education is important. Uh, and intervention for women who, who, go, who do go to clinics, because some other women don't even attend antenatal clinics. Mm-hmm. And those who do attend, it's important that we do, even if it's just a brief intervention, for nurses or for health staff to screen women for alcohol abuse, and then they can give them advices and then let them know that you can actually stop drinking so that you can protect your baby. You know, we spoke about women being more um, at risk than men. Is there a particular age where women are, you know, for instance, we see young kids now that start to drink, you know, all these wonderful fizzy drinks. Uh, that are laced with al- alcohol and um, kids are drinking at 16, 17 now is, are they more in danger of, of, of um, those risks that we spoke about than starting maybe at a later age of like 30? Yes, uh, there, you are people who drink at a young age are more at risk because, remember, the body is not fully developed for some time, I mean, for a teenager. Uh, so that can affect the brain as well because drinking does affect the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. And uh, poor education is one of the things also that uh, place people to be more vulnerable or susceptible to heavy drinking or poor nutrition. People who drink tend not to eat a lot, you know, and then because the alcohol doesn't make them, they feel like they don't need to eat, so that actually puts them at a higher risk as well. And if you have already uh, given birth to more than three children, uh, sometimes uh, you are more at risk with all these other conditions or other factors like low nutrition, low education, so and you're still continuing to drink heavily you're putting your risk, yourself at more risk uh, of developing some diseases due to your heavy drinking. Did you say if you've had three or more children and you, you drink a lot, then you're more at risk? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I don't think a lot of people know that because I think when people are older and they've, they're done with children, you socialize with alcohol, but, but more than anything else, people with depression tend to drink. You know, people yes. self-medicate with alcohol. How does one one deal with all those issues? You see, that is another difference between men and and women. Women do also suffer psychiatric disorders or mental health problems because sometimes they are depressed and therefore they take alcohol to take away the the depression or at least to make themselves feel at ease or better. Yet for men, men can drink and due to their drinking, they can develop psychiatric disorders more than women, but women, we do develop these uh, symptoms or these disorders, and then we tend to drink. And therefore, it is important that when women do access treatment, of which not many women have access to rehabilitation for alcohol, it is important that we do, the, the, the service providers don't only deal with alcohol uh, dependence, but they also look at depression, you know, these these psychiatric disorders that women suffer. Mm. And unfortunately, we don't, in our country, we don't always do that. And in fact, 
we should be actually target, having programs that target women's needs. But unfortunately, we, we have mixed it. Uh, we've got programs that mix men and women, and we take them as if they have, yes, they have alcohol dependency, but actually they, the, the needs are different. We should be also catering for these psychiatric disorders that women suffer. We spoke about rural areas earlier and um, where also uh, alcohol abuse is rife. But arguments I've heard before was, you know, people who drink traditional ngombo tea, for instance, mm-hmm. think it's healthier and they're not at, 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 at the same risk level as people who drink, um, you know, brandy or gin or, or even beer. Yes, you know, the alcohol percentage is, is much, much higher with gin and vodka and, and other things, but sorghum or the traditional beer actually is supposed to be healthy because it only contains small amount of alcohol in it, mm-hmm. provided it's prepared correctly. But nowadays, we, we know that we've got people who add all other stuff in their traditional beer, and then that increases the risks of to, to alcohol abuse or to other diseases. But at the same time, even though the traditional beer only contains 4% of alcohol, mm-hmm. remember, if you take more than that a day, you are actually putting yourself more at risk. So it doesn't matter the percentage, but the standard drink for a woman is one drink a day, whether it's a sorghum beer, whether it's a wine, whether it's a can of uh, whether it's a glass of spirit, you understand. So it's important how much you take the the, the, the quality of the drinking that you take, so that you put your uh, yourself at a lower risk by drinking one or up to two. Sibogazi, um, when do you know you're in trouble? When should one start worrying that their drinking is excessive? Uh, their health are there telltale signs? What are what are the symptoms? You know, Apart from Ipuza face. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many, there's, there's denial with drinking. People who, who drink a lot, they tend to be in denial sometimes. And therefore, the first step is actually to admit that you have a drinking problem. That is the first step you can uh, know that you have a drinking problem to admit to yourself. But also, if you are not performing at work, if you're not performing at school, we do know that kids binge drink. Uh, if you're not going to school... Or at the most severe case, if you cannot live without drinking, you know, mm. if you stop drinking and then you start shaking and sweating, those are withdrawals from not drinking. If if you cannot think anything else, if you cannot go through the day without drinking, then you are in trouble. And isolated drinking where you drink alone. Yes, and if you drink alone, you do anything to get a drink, then you are in big trouble. You should seek help. And where do you go? You do go to rehabilitation centers. We do have Sanka rehabilitation centers uh, throughout the provinces or throughout the country, but there are also other state, uh, state centers uh, that the government is actually paying for treatment for people or private uh, psychiatric uh, centers that they deal with substance abuse, including alcohol. So, but people don't easily, uh, sorry to interrupt, but, you know, people eventually, I mean, it's not easy to take yourself there, you know. Um, usually a family member would have to identify that you do have a problem uh, or your boss or, or somebody. I mean, how, how do you, and, and as you say, people are in denial. So how does a family member who's worried about a friend or a, a mother or a brother who's, 
who's who's having who has a, a drinking problem? How do they recommend? What's the kind of conversation that happens there? Yes, it is quite a problem that if I do not admit that I have a drinking problem, I cannot listen to you if you say I need help. But we do encourage uh, people, friends, and families to to try and talk to to the people that are abusing alcohol and say, you know. Your life is not does not have to end here. There is help. You can get help. You can go to a rehabilitation center where you can stay for some time, and then you will come back uh, to the uh, to to the to to the house, and then we can assist you. The other thing that is important is the family support, because when the person comes from that uh, rehabilitation center, remember the rehabilitation center it's like a controlled environment, so mm-hmm. the person doesn't really have access to these substances including alcohol, and therefore when they go home, it's important that the family and friends, they give the person support instead of labeling um, the person to be an alcoholic. And the other reason that people actually do not access the rehabilitation centers, it is that stigma that uh, you are an alcoholic. And more for women, sometimes if, if alcohol is normal in the community, they do not prioritize seeking help, you know. So the money, even if they, they have to go to a treatment center that they have to pay or they have to pay a little, they, all they think about is to feed their children. And if they go to rehabilitation center, who's going to look after their children? And they are scared that if they go to, they seek help, they will be labeled as unfit mother and therefore they do not tend to go to rehabilitation centers, despite the fact that these services are not, cl- are not close to them. You know, women uh, abuse a lot of alcohol, and I, I think, you know, what we're talking about, some people have probably gone, I know everything about alcohol. Ah, why are we still talking about this? But it is a big issue. You know, in fact, in, uh, later on in the program, I'm talking um, about Shabin owners and tavern owners because women are going there to make money because they've lost their jobs or they're unemployed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... and I wonder if you think uh, liquor companies themselves should be taking responsibility as far as educating people or educating the very same Shibin owners and alcohol distributors um, to, 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 to warn or to put warnings. I don't even know if warnings help, but to run programs that people can go to and attend to learn more about alcohol abuse. I think that would be very important. We have also... Uh been actually advocating that the advertisement in the bottle shouldn't be as small as it is, you know. Is there one? There is uh, advertisement <laughs> in some bottles of alcohol that do not, uh, it's only for under 18. But, I mean, who, re- who really reads that? Because it's so small. Castle Lager is written in big words, but mm-hmm. that warning is written in small letters. So mm-hmm. we've been advocating that those uh, warnings should be written in a bigger font. And also that advertising actually should be limited on television, you know, because sometimes there is, there's been research that young kids are influenced by the media and by what they see on television. If they see someone who's successful and using alcohol, they think that is the right thing. How, how accessible is your Medical Research Council's um, research unit? Uh, can, can it be accessed by students? Can schools interact with you? Uh, to, to learn more about this? Yes, uh, ma'am. In, here in Cape Town, we are in the Tigerbeck uh, area, and so it is 
the, the university, for example, uh, of the Western Cape is not far from us, and the surrounding schools uh, are not far from us. So the, the information is easily accessible, but then it depends then, do people know, can they really come and um, get this information? We do say, yes, they can come and do access the information. And are you on a website where this information can be found? Yes, uh, the website is www.mrc.ac.za, and therefore one if you go one can go to the website and you can see the research units and then uh, you can find an alcohol and drug research unit. And it's written in plain English. It's yes, got no yes. medical technical jargon. No. <laughs> okay. No. Thank you very much. Are you having a drink tomorrow? <laughs> no, <laughs> not and not for Women's Day either. So you don't drink, I take it. <laughs> I drink occasionally, but not all the time. No, no, I, yeah, I wouldn't expect you not to. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Sipogazi, for chatting to us, and congratulations on the work you do, and thanks for sharing it with us. Okay, Mem Shadow, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Sipogazi Dada, who is a scientist of the Medical Research Council's Alcohol and Drug Abuse Research Unit, and their website, www.mrc. .ac.za and I know a lot of you believe you know all about this but I, I know also that in more and more people are having lunches, thank God I'm on this show I'm not having any more lunches, people have lunches people gather for dinners at homes and and the first thing they bring, people don't bring flowers anymore they bring you a bottle of wine or a six pack of something and this and that let's be responsible let's, let, let's really, especially us ladies and girls, please, let's be responsible. We're back talking to Brand House and uh, Moody Wines after this. Oh, sorry, Utsile, I should have greeted you somehow, but no, I'll, I'll do a proper one at the top of the hour. Joined now by Zanele Njafa. Njapa, is it Zanele? 7422. Hi. Z- Zanele, yes. is it Njapa? Yes, it's Zanele Njapa. Who's 7422? <laughs> you were giving a number to somebody, I think. Yes, apologies. Well, the whole of South Africa heard that number. That's great. We don't know the other, <laughs> other numbers, so we can't dial it. Zanelli, you're the sustainability manager at Brand House. We've just been talking yes. to, we've just been talking about alcohol and women and how they abuse it. And and you, you are at Brand House, and it's not your problem that people abuse alcohol. But do you think anything can be done? Um, you work a lot with Shibin owners and tavern owners, in fact, female ones especially, and in fact, you're pampering them today and doing sharing some business skills. Tell us about it. Yes, um, Shadow, basically what we're trying to say as Brand House is that, you know, we all need to play a role in promoting the responsible use of alcohol. Mm. We've got various initiatives which are aimed at eradicating this problem but we can't do it alone. We need to partner with government, and we also need to partner with people who also trade in alcohol. And if we look at the role of women in our society, they are the ones who instill values. Mm. They are the star watts of our communities. And if we can work with them in terms of eradicating alcohol abuse, especially amongst youth, I think we will make greater inroads. We will make sure that when people consume alcohol, they do it in a responsible and a respectful manner, and they make sure that they don't bring harm not only to themselves but to their families. 
Well, I'm happy to learn that uh, you have programs that, that because, as I said earlier, people are turning to the business of selling alcohol while they are in between jobs, and some of them never get back to their jobs because the business starts thriving and it gets bigger, and, uh, you know, the whole house, especially because you don't have to rent spaces when you start a Shabino or a tavern, you use the, the place where you live. But I'm happy to hear that you, you help these women, especially to, to, to improve their skills. Tell us more. We've got a training program which is aimed at tavern owners. It's called Asibamba Neni, mm-hmm. where we basically give them skills in terms of how do you calculate your selling price, how do you calculate your profit, how do you also use the money that you're getting in to grow your business and also inspire hope in terms of saying, don't only look to the alcohol industry. What else can you do? And that's the reason that we brought Mamsi in to come and speak to these ladies. Because even though she started off in the wine business, she's now grown her business into a B&B. And that's what we're trying to say. Look beyond alcohol. But while you are still in alcohol, please trade responsibly so that we can have a better society. Okay, so... so apart from just pampering these ladies, and you must tell me what you're going to do with them later, uh, apart from pampering them, there is some skills development that you do with them and, 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 and uh, make sure that they, they, they run responsibly as well. But what about the challenges they face? You know, there's the, when people are drunk, the security issues, there's, um, there's alcohol abuse issues within their premises. Do you assist them in those areas as well? We are currently in the in the process of developing a program that looks at the business in a holistic sense. We are developing a program that's also going to look at safe and healthy and looking at issues, what happens in an event of a fire. They are required by law to have um, fire extinguishers, to have exits, but we just want to make sure that that is an ongoing and sustainable manner. Mm. So today we're not really talking business skills, we, we're pampering them, but we're also saying to them, please help us in trading responsibly. Beyond today, then we continue with the other programs which we are running. We're also going to be doing um, other um, skills and also helping some of these females if they want to go into other ventures to have mentors and incubators aimed specifically at them. Now tell me, where is the pamper happening today for these ladies? It's happening at the brand house facility. Mm-hmm. Um, most of these people, even though they trade with brand house, they've never actually experienced brand house. And that's why we decided to bring them to our head office, which is based in Cape Town Observatory, to come and experience the company in its totality. Mm-hmm. And what are you doing for them apart from bringing them to your offices? Are they? Are, are you giving them a lunch? Are they getting massages? Are yes, they, there's... Are they, um, there's makeovers, so there's people advising them on makeup. They're mm. getting um, massages. There's people that are helping them with their nails. And we have Mamsi who's speaking to them. There's a great lunch. We are not serving any alcohol today. Oh, good, good, good. Yes, even though we had them transported to our premises, so they've been trans- um, chauffeured to brand house offices, we are still not providing alcohol because if we're talking about responsible, let us lead the way into that um, way of responsibility, especially with the big woman's day coming up. Let's try to do it in a positive manner. 
Now, if if other because I'm sure you you doing this with women from around Cape Town. What about the rest of the country? Are they also going to have the same experience? For this year, unfortunately, we we're not having this experience. But for next year, we're going to be going nationwide into various places and getting speakers from those particular regions who will inspire them and who is somebody that is close enough for them to call on for advice. So we are going nationwide with this initiative going forward. And um, how do people access? People who are just about starting that type of business, do they have access to you? Yes, they would get um, access. They can go into our website. Um, and then um, my contact details are there, but I can also give it to you. It's 021-442-7269. Mm-hmm. They will then be registered with our salespeople because how we invited these people, um, the taverners that are here today, it's through our field sales representatives. Okay. You so know, we we've, invite, um, you've been talking about Mamsi and we've managed to get her on the line. Um, so we're going to let you go because I know you girls are running. So we'll keep Mamsi on the line. Mamsi, hello. Hello, hello, Shadow. Mamsi Rangaka of Muhudi Wines. Welcome and congratulations. Your business is thriving, girl. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are trying. We're working very hard to make it successful. What are you going to tell these ladies this afternoon? Well, I'm going to tell them that they can go out there and do it like Muhudi has done it. They don't have to have a lot of resources. They don't have to have a lot of knowledge. We at Muhudi started the Muhudi business from zero knowledge, from very low resources. It was just we wanted to go get out there and do it. Yeah, I'm and you can't say zero knowledge. From internet downloads, we had to go to uh, to short courses and. We got onto the farm in 2003, and in 2005, we were releasing our first wine brand. Okay, so let, let's take it. actually do it. Let's take it back a bit, because nobody knows about the farm. So you started from zero. It's you and your family members. Yes. It was a family yes. business. So you started from zero. You did a bit of research, and you bought a farm. Yes, in the farm. In the Western Cape. Yes. But did you know anything about about making wine? Yes, yes, I've had to learn to make wine. I've had to learn to manage a wine grape farm, and this was not an easy exercise because I've had to go down and prune and break my back out there. I've had to harvest and pick the grape myself. I've had to learn to take these grapes into the cellar, get them crushed. So I've Buying the farm has given me and my family an opportunity to learn from production right through to value addition to marketing and to export. Right now we are exporting our wines to more than five countries. Marangaka, when did you start with the farm? In 2003, we bought the farm here outside Stellenbosch. Mm. The seed was planted back then in 1994 when our government took over the country and said that black people get out there, get onto the land. Mm. And we decided, me and my family, if it's not us who are going to get out there with the little knowledge that then we can who? Use to teach ourselves, who else is going to do it? We did not have money. And we put together our homes and our savings and our pensions and we went to the land bank and we said that we found a farm in the Western Cape. We would like to buy it. And oh. the land bank said, 
No, they gave us a lot of problems, ups and downs, but ultimately, in two years, we were able to buy the farm and settle on the farm. Well, you're a very strong woman to convince everybody else to get to give up their houses <laughs> and link you. And, and you must have a wonderful family because not too many families can get together and do that. What did it take? It, it took a lot of effort on myself. Firstly, to buy into the Muhudi dream myself. You know, the Muhudi name is actually a name of a novel by Sol Plaki, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who was the first secretary general of the, uh, the ANC and who is also the first black man to write a novel in English back then in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And he did that only with strategy education. And in my background, um, I come from clinical psychology and education. So I read this novel when I was at school, and it really inspired me that if a man at, at that time could with Sanatri achieve so much, he was even a journalist, mm-hmm. we, with all the education that we have, we must be able to achieve more. That's where the inspiration came from. So I inspired my family, you know, having read this novel and said to them, we could go out there and do it ourselves because the land has got to get back to the hands of the people and I would like to see myself building a legacy for my family. Mm -hmm. And they bought into the idea, they bought into the concept. We are not nearly there. We are still getting there, but we will make it happen. Hey, listen, you're exporting already to Europe and other places. I'm sure you're there, but I'm told your business just just doesn't end at the farm. You're looking at guest houses. Yes, 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 Shadow. Um, we started off with the wine brand in 2005 when we made our first vintage. And the farm, I must say, was a derelict when we bought it because that's why we could afford it. But it was a great challenge for us to make it work also. Um, I got onto the farm with the money that I was getting from the wines, the, from the export, and renovated the farm facilities. Mm. And I, I, I now have a tasting room, an event room, and a small office, and a guest room, wow. and a guest house. And because of all those facilities, I went out and joined the uh, Emerging Tourism Award uh, in 2008 and 2010. And guess what? Based on those facilities, bringing them together with the wine and hosting mainly international tourists, I won both the national and the provincial IKEA award. And that just made people look at us more and more and more. So by 2010, 2011, we were exporting to 42 countries in the, U- in the U.S. Um, we were in about uh, 200 and something stores in the U.K. through Max and Spencer's. We are in Germany, we are in Switzerland, and recently, we are in Nigeria. We have been able to get our wines onto Woolworth shelves. And right now, guess what? We are quoting China uh, through Ooh. the government uh, agreement with the BRICS countries. We are now going to China for the second time. And I think this year something might happen out there. I am, my jaws dropped. I mean, you, you continue to talk about your beautiful success. And I can't believe, where do we get the Mahudi wines in, you said that all the woolies in, 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 in South yes. Africa? 
Yes, in, in all the woolies in South Africa, when you go out and dine, try Moyo restaurants, try Capello restaurants, uh, try a few um, hotels such as some of the super hotels. We are now with Bidvest uh, as, as a distributor, and they will be distributing our wines nationally in most of the hotels and restaurants. So we are hoping that we'll grow big in time. I'm glad you're talking to these women this afternoon because I'd like to be there to just just drink out of your well because you've got so much I'd like to, you know, to, to, to do, you know, with you. Do you teach other people? Do you get people to walk through your farm just to, to, to get inspired? Uh, we do that. What, what, what we do when people visit the farm or when you go out there to do wine tastings, we say to ourselves, we are doing tastings Because uh-huh. having come from an, a, a, an academic background, we just did not want to see ourselves making and selling wine. Mm. For us, it's a journey of learning. It is a long life, a, a lifelong learning, and we impart this to other people. So when you come to our farm or we, we meet you at the tastings, we teach you about wine the way we have learned. And right now, I must say also that I am involved with some um, non-governmental organization, um, and I mean non-profit making organization. I am teaching about wine, and my husband also is teaching about viticulture, just so that more people should know about the wine industry, because mm-hmm. the wine industry has been for a very long time a very closed industry. It still is, but I hope word is getting out there that it is difficult, but we can still make it in the wine industry. More than close, it's been male-dominated. It is male-dominated. It's been white-dominated. But we are working on it. Uh, I'm also, uh, I've been a chairperson of the South African uh, Black Business Alliance, which is a cooperative of uh, women in the wine industry, mostly black women. We go knocking at all the doors, uh, locally and internationally. We try to lobby government to get the wine industry to open up to more black people, to more women. We are getting there. It's a tough call, but we are making it. Mamsi, earlier on, just before you joined us, we were talking about women and alcohol and the health risks. What's, what's your advice to women with regards to drinking responsibly? It is true, Shadow, that alcohol can be dangerous. So people should not drink too much. People should not even drink when they go out and drive. But wine is we we don't classify wine that much you know under alcohol because wine is actually food wine is something that we use when we eat and wine has got benefits particularly red wine and white wine as well it, it's got um antioxidant benefits and it helps with the digestion if every night when you eat particularly your steaks, your, your, your fatty foods, because actually those are the dangerous ones. Mm. If you take a glass or two of wine and you are in your home, not only are you participating in the lifestyle of wine, which is a good lifestyle, you are also looking after your health. Mm. It's, it's, it's obvious, though, that with everything, uh, you, you, you do it in moderation. You know, it's only when yes, the, it's, it's abused, to. then there, there, there is a problem. There is a problem. There are people who get used to drinking wine and they just drink it uh, to have a good time. But it's not supposed to be like that. It is not supposed to like And I think in many countries, uh, South Africa included, as I was doing my research about wine, I found that 
in Europe, particularly France, you don't meet problems such as alcoholism because what they do actually is to teach their children from a very early age about wine and how to respect wine. Mm. From about three to four months, the children in France are taught about wine. They What they do is dip their finger in the wine, put it in the mouth of the child over over a long period of time. By the, by the time the child reaches 18 years, they've tasted a little bit a year of wine, a little bit a year of wine, and they have seen wine being used in their families with great respect and dignity. Mm. Mm. By that time, they have learned so much about wine that they do not abuse alcohol at all. Hmm. Mamsi, we should talk to you again. Now, give me the spelling of your of your wine, Mahudi. Is it M-H-U-D-I? It is M-H-U-D-I. My sister, congratulations. And Thank we wish you, so you all much, the strength Shadi. and more success. And hopefully we visit your wine farm sometimes. Thank you, Shadow, and thanks for the listeners out there. Thanks to the listeners out there for listening. Congratulations. You make us very proud. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take Thank care. Bye. Bye. That was Mamsi Rangaka of Muhudi Wines. I love that success story. I mean, everything in moderation. We spoke about women and alcohol, and I hope that... And I'm glad she's talking to Shabin owners and tavern owners this afternoon because that's something they need to know, that you don't always have to just run a Shabin and the way you do, you can grow it into a, a respectable business. It's now time for our children's stories.